Hey guys, welcome back to Nerd Talk with Jordan Halstead. I'm your host, and today Micah will not be on here. Instead, I'm joined by my friends Alicia and Morgan. Guys, well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun as we tackle Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. So, Morgan, this is your first time on our, our, our podcast. And so, I want to start off by asking two really quick questions. How did you get involved into the world of Harry Potter? Was it books, movies, Lego, whatever? Or And uh, the other thing that I want to ask is, what house are you in? So go ahead and hop on in with that. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jordan. Um, I'm excited. Harry Potter is just one of the ways that I love to relax and enjoy life and nerd out. And um, So I started getting into Harry Potter in college um, okay. I, before that. Of like taboo in the Christian world, you know, but um, <gasps> what? I, but in college, um, I would just find myself on weekends watching all of those marathons on ABC Family and just kind of relaxing yeah. with them. Um, and then when I graduated, I was craving a ton of fiction, and so I sat down and just read all of the books and devoured them. In about a month, I got through all of them because wow. I just. I just loved them. Um, they're beautifully written. And I, like I said, I was craving fiction. And so after that, I think that there were three movies that came out after that. So I kind of read all of the, watched a bunch of the movies, then read a lot of the books and then ended with a couple of movies as well. So, yeah. Okay. So what house are you from? If, you're, am, if you're at Hogwarts. I am Slytherin, proudly Slytherin. Ooh. Okay. You know, we, we were talking about this last episode with, with Anna. She said she's Ravenclaw. And I said, as long as you're not Slytherin, but I can't tell Morgan because she'll come after me. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's funny. Alicia, you are Ravenclaw, right? Yep. And then I'm Gryffindor. So we've got three of the four houses represented in this podcast. and I'm excited to go ahead and start diving in. So, uh, you know, last book, we had characters like Dolores Umbridge. We saw the death of Sirius Black. And, you know, we, we meet really downright dastardly characters like Bellatrix Lestrange. And we start to see the rise of Voldemort really starting to take place here. And so the book really starts really at a quick pace from, from the way that I see it, at least, where they're already on the hunt to get Slughorn to become the new defense against the dark arts teacher. So let's talk about Slughorn and that introductionary piece with him. What did you guys think of this new character and that it wasn't like, Hey, we're meeting this new professor at Hogwarts or like there's an event where they talk about him. And then we meet him at Hogwarts. Like this is like, we're meeting him to get him to become the new teacher at Hogwarts. What, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I think for me, it's kind of weird because Okay, so you go into this thinking the open position at Hogwarts is the defense against the dark arts teacher. And then Again. you're in <laughs> who's literally hiding, like hiding as much as possible, moving around every week. And really, so much of Slughorn's existence is about hiding, right? Um, he hides out of fear. And then you think later on, he's hiding from his own memories and not wanting to admit. And so it's to me, it's just kind of you can tell he's hiding something all the time. And that's just kind of a weird character to encounter. Do yeah. you think, you know, as, as this character kind of progresses, do you say like he's hiding from his own memories? I think it's funny because he seems like a popular teacher. Like, you know, when you go to college, you go to high school, things like that, you have like those popular teachers that everybody wants to be around. He has those parties and people want to be there. 
but yet he's still hiding things. Like, do you do you see how that works? Like, what what are your thoughts on that part, Morgan? Well, and I I don't think necessarily that he's a popular teacher. I think it's like people don't want to hang out with him necessarily, but they don't want to not hang out with him. If that like makes a sense. fear of missing out situation. Yes, fear of missing out. So I think especially for him, he is too connected to alienate. Um, but I don't think any of the students would have said, oh my goodness, I love Slughorn. He's my favorite to hang out with. If that gotcha. Makes yeah. Gotcha. Alicia, what do you think of Slughorn? I mean, I agree. It is kind of a funny introduction. I mean, he's disguised himself as a chair. I mean, who who does who does that? Like in Transfiguration, like who I'm gonna be a chair. I, I mean, you can be an animal, you can, I mean, a chair. Um, so that's just kind of funny off the bat. Um, I don't know. I I double door calls it right. He's a trophy collector. He's just, and I think that's why people I want and I wonder if that's kind of the attraction of being kind of in his club is that maybe you're you're gonna be somebody special if you're in his club because he he collects with a purpose. He likes sets of things. Um, maybe there, there's some thought that, okay, maybe I'll be somebody if if I get into this little group and click. I gotcha. I know for me, I don't really like Slughorn. He's my probably least favorite of all the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers like to this point. Even um, more than Umbridge? I think it's because I forget him most times. Like, <laughs> Like he, he's, he's easily forgettable where you have like Lockhart and Quirrell, like those guys were pretty memorable. Uh, Lupin, the most amazing right there. Mm-hmm. And then like, even though it's, it's mad eye moody and I'm putting that in big air quotes here. Um, like even with that, like you still have these awesome representations and yeah, Umbridge sucked. Like she was awful, but like Slughorn's forgettable. Like I, I almost forgot his name leading into this. I was like, wait, I gotta remember his name. That's yeah, fair. it's Slughorn. And I'm like, I just don't feel like he was a vital part. Like, I mean, he was, but he wasn't the same way. It was, I think, a different direction of storytelling for a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Like each of them had very specific pieces that they played, and his was for fighting Voldemort. Like his was you. We just need a memory from you. We we have to pull this from you. We're trying to grab information from you. It's not because you need to teach us something. It's because we need to grab something. Which I guess technically he's teaching them through a memory, but it's not. It's not. Hey, you're this great, amazing defense against the dark arts teacher. Like, because doesn't he say I'm better at potions? Well, at one point he ends up like we think that he's going to fill that role because that's the vacant role, right? But then it ends up being Snape that fills that role once they get to Hogwarts. Um, so it's just kind of weird for them to do that switcheroo, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's just a little different there. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Snape. Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. And I love that. That was a that was a turn that I didn't really see coming, like leading into this. And I saw this, this comment, and I want to know what your guys' thoughts are. If he wrote the fix to all of these problems in the book that he had when he was a student and he was the half-blood prince and he fixes all this, why does he keep teaching it when it's wrong? What are your guys' <laughs> thoughts to that? Snape is not a guy who likes easy answers. He wants you to figure it out. Yep. He doesn't want 
going to give you the information on a silver platter. He wants you. I mean, that's, I think that that's part of his teaching method. Also, it, he may actually be giving secret lessons to Slytherins on the actual way to do it and just like letting Gryffindors like fumble and figuring it out on their own. So that's kind of, I can see him doing something like that too. Oh, well, I, I, like I was watching a Chamber of Secrets not long ago and there's this part where he like pulls Malfoy up when they're dueling. And I'm like, no one else is helping Harry over here. Like you're immediately like, he, he kind of has that soft spot for all of his Slytherins. And so I could totally see him doing that. That's definitely a Snape situation. Mm-hmm. But I just, I thought, you know, this is something I just heard. And I was like, I definitely want to talk about like the fact that why are, why, if you know the answers, why are you not trying to better teach? And why are you not trying to do this as a, as a educator? Why are you not trying to fix the problems and, and not let it just continue to cycle itself through? Well, I think too, like teachers all are going to have different teaching methods, right? And I think that his, his Slytherin personality kind of shines through that. You know, he's, that's like Morgan was saying, like he's, he's teaching what he's supposed to, because he wants to try to push his students to finding into investigating more of what, what the answer actually is. Well, and I think about, you know, nobody helped him. Nobody helped him. Why would he bother? Exactly. Yep. Well, okay. So here's, here's a question that I have based off of Snape and and what little knowledge that I have with him. Cause he's not a character that I typically like to go towards Um, being the Gryffindor that I am. I I really don't care for Snape, but I love Snape. (laughs) I I can't. Well, let's think about it. Gryffindors. uh, We're we're pretty big headed. We love our Gryffindor people and that's about it. Um, (laughs) We're, we're bullheaded that way. I, for Snape, why does he want the position of defense against the dark arts when he knows potions so well, when he made the fixes, like, why do you think he wants that one so bad? Do you think it's a, because he's a follower of Voldemort and he's trying to kind of do some of that, like, like I'm putting big air quotes cause we know the story, but like, because of that, or like, what? Why do you think that he went that way? Because if he's a superior potions master, like, why would why would he not want to teach that? I wonder if it has to do with Lily. Like, you know, ultimately, yes. You know, the back and forth of you know, it, who is he the double agent for in the end? Right? Like, there's always that question. Uh, but I think a lot of it goes back to Lily, and I think that so much of his back and forth can be traced to his love for her. And so Mm -hmm. I think of that is, is there a way that I could have saved her? And is there a way that I can save others? I mean, not her son, of course, but like others through that process. So I think it may be tied back to his overall motivation, which is Lily and his love for her. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that's great insight. Yeah. I, I love you know, again, I don't like him as a character. I loved Alan Rickman's portrayal of him, and he did phenomenal. But I love even more that in this story, we get backstory to a character we don't like or or that we're not supposed to like, and we start to see kind of that he is a hero in some aspects, and that there's certain pieces that are... There, there's more pieces at play in this. Um, and that he, it's not just a, oh, he's a mean teacher. Like, hey, you have a, you have a bigger role to play. 
And it kind of looks like it's going from both sides. He's he's kind of a pivotal piece. And I would argue that this book shows that Snape is is as much like he, he's just as vital in the story of Harry Potter as maybe even Harry Potter himself is. Like we don't need all the all the heroic pieces. We don't need all the all the different parts to go with it. We just need Snape doing what he did. And I think at this point we're starting to really see like the inner workings and his backstory of how he was uh, how he how he's part of one of the Death Eaters, but he's also one of the teachers at Hogwarts, and where all this starts to kind of come together, and then it will finish out in the next book. Um, but yeah, like that that which side are you playing? We don't know, and like just to see the the torment that he's got, I absolutely love that, and I think that he he's got a lot of character development in this book that I just I'm like whoa, okay, I love that so. Well, and um, so much you know, of that character development, Gordon, is happening without us knowing that it's Snape, right? Because you talk about, we find out at the end that he's the Half-Blood Prince. So we're learning about so much of the character of the Half-Blood Prince, and we're learning about Snape. And then at the end, we realize, oh my goodness, it's the same person. And so I think that that's a really unique way that the author ties that together, is you don't even realize you're learning more about Snape. You know... And this is not the first time J.K. Rowling has done something like that. And we look at uh, Goblet of Fire, Mad-Eye Moody, you don't expect him to change at the end of that that book. Like, you're not really, like, seeing all the all the plot points. You start to see it in the movie when he starts licking his lips. And he's, like, just continually. And we start to see some of the visual pieces. But in the book, you really don't see that. That's not a context clue that helps you. And so to see that switch, you're like, wait, okay, you can't pull the wool over my eyes again. I'm already looking. And then she does it. And that book, it really helps. And I think that's kind of one of those pieces. Like I said, Slughorn is not memorable, but this twist is. That's one of those things that like, I can't say it's like the worst book. I can't really say there is a bad book in this series because each one is so unique. And it's not like, hey, here's the formula. I'm sticking with it. And every book is going to just kind of be like, altered a little bit here or there one might stand out way more than the others no i think i think each one stands as its own by its own self so um you know i want to talk about as we're as we're going through this there's uh they're they're getting information they're having to, to learn all this because voldemort's back and they started to realize like the locket and so dumbledore is a lot more hands-on in this book than he has been in previous books um, I think he had quite a bit with the Dumbledore's army and, and things like that. Like he had a little bit more on and off with, with Harry, but it's really coming to a head here. What did you guys think about Dumbledore's involvement with Harry and how he, this relationship is really becoming a mentoring, fatherly, very loving relationship? What do you guys think about that? I think that, I mean, honestly, we've seen the last couple of, movies and I the movies are going to be more fresh for me for than the books but you know Dumbledore was trying to stay out of it he thought that he could just kind of stay in the background and everything I don't know if he just thought that everything would work itself out like I don't know you know what his thoughts were from trying to stay out of everything especially in in Order of the Phoenix um and I think by this one at the end of Order of the Phoenix he realizes he can't stay out of this. Like he's going to have to push some of this stuff ahead. Um, and I, I don't know. I like that. He's becoming more of a father figure for Harry. Um, really trying to 
not really tell him the answers, but doing everything that he can to say, hey, you really need to look at this a little bit more because I'm trying to share some information with you. He's trying to make him think, which again, is going to be the teacher in him. He's trying to lead him along yeah. so that he can draw to the conclusions that he needs to. Absolutely. I really think too, as Dumbledore, you know, when oh, Dumbledore, um, when we, the book opens or the movie, whichever you're looking at, he's already like has two fingers that are, you know, dead and dying. I think he's beginning to realize I'm probably not going to see the end of Voldemort. And so like, I have to do something because I'm going to be gone. Like I, even as you see him like planning with Snape and you figure out at the end what all has been happening, he knows that he's not going to be there at the end. And so I feel like not only is he, you know, Harry's excited. He's like, oh, he's taking an interest in me and this fatherly figure. And Dumbledore is like, I have to pour everything into him because I'm not going to be here. And I think that yeah. that, you know, that's kind of, you know, and you see this, you know, when anyone is dying, they want to tell you all of their old stories. They want to tell you everything that they know. And that's what this whole book is, is Dumbledore revealing everything he knows to Harry or as much as he can. Again, he's got some secrets too, but revealing a lot of things to Harry so that he will be prepared to do what he has to do. So basically, this is either Half-Blood Prince or The Secrets of Dumbledore. But, um, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I agree with that. I think that this whole piece is just that he knows he's dying and he's he's at that point of, okay, I got to get this, got to get this information to him. I got to make sure that he's ready because I think, I think he's 10 steps ahead of the game. I think he knows, okay, I'm not making it, but I can put pieces in play that five the next five years or the next year and a half we can end this thing before it really escalates um and i think when you look at some of the ways that he started to, to help harry and started to really build on that i mean you go into book seven and you start to see where dumbledore's fingerprints are already there so he's not even in this book and you start to see how pieces were, were laid in because he took the necessary action and he started to put pieces together so we'll talk about kind of his death now what did you think about the pact that i mean it basically starts this book off um you know there's the slughorn side that helps start things off but there's also the the malfoy piece where if draco doesn't kill albus that snape does that's what has to happen but we get to see kind of both sides as the viewer and the audience like we get to see oh hey dumbledore i have to kill you and like they, they kind of orchestrate everything. Do you think that Dumbledore used that and planned that moment? Do you think that he he set everything up so that way it would he would know everything with Snape and, and he had that conversation and said, okay, we got to plan this thing out right and I need you to be the one to, to take the shot because Draco's not going to do it. But because of the the pieces that we know in book seven, I've got to pass this this gift off, but it can't be to you because there's there's something bigger at play here. Do you think that it was orchestrated a little bit more behind the scenes, even what, what the book was saying? Or do you guys think that it just happened a little bit more by chance? I think it very much. And I think the movie and the book almost kind of allude to the fact that Dumbledore was planning this with Snape, even before Snape made the pact. 
um, which is really interesting. Um, but like you said, Dumbledore is 10 steps ahead. But it also makes me think about how, um, you know, even in the movie, Dumbledore has to kind of convince Snape to do this. And Dumbledore knows that he has the Elder Wand. Snape does not know that he has the Elder Wand, but Dumbledore does. And so it's just so interesting to me that I really think you saying Dumbledore's 10 steps ahead, it may be like even 20 steps ahead as he's orchestrating that, you know, they're going to come to you, Snape. This is going to happen and you have to agree to do this. So do you think that they started to plant seeds? Because you you were saying that he knew kind of before this even happened, before the pack happened. Do you think that Dumbledore pushed certain pieces in the direction so that way it would happen that way that he was planting the seeds so that it, it looked like it was Snape's idea or hey make this like be the person that's willing to do this make sure you are super willing to do whatever they need because he was 20 steps ahead I think it varies um some of it I think he was pushing some of it I think as much as So Dumbledore is highly intelligent and very much a student. So I truly believe that he was a student of Voldemort and he's been studying him and knows what he, he can almost anticipate what he's going to do. Now he doesn't know everything. He didn't know the word Horcrux, right? But he knew there's something here. And, you know, so I think that even though he may not have known exactly what was going to happen, he knows that he's got to get him out of the way and he knows that he's almost untouchable at Hogwarts. So he, and you know, he's thinking through, he's predicting because he knows Voldemort so well and has known him for so long. I think he just has enough knowledge that he's able to kind of make a really educated guess, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Alicia, what are your thoughts? And I think that too, like we've, we've talked in some of the other podcasts about this, that, I mean, Dumbledore has a purpose in everything that he's done. Like he is meticulous. Again, he's highly intelligent. Like he, he knows what he's doing. Like he, the reason that there's been such a rotation with the defense against the dark arts um, instructor is because he has been bringing people in who need to teach these kids certain lessons that they need. Like he knows what he's doing. Um, He's no fool. I think that he had a hand in it. We're not seeing it, but he, he has a hand in all of that stuff. And I think you're right. He's, I mean, he's at least 20 steps ahead, if not more. You know, Dumbledore's death, I think is one of the most impactful death scenes that I've seen on screen. Um, because that's a character that I love. Um, and I, I would go to say that most people love. I don't think that there's many people that are like, oh, Dumbledore. Like, I think he's kind of like that, that love that everybody has. Like, that's the one universally loved character. Um, maybe a children's just going to throw that. In. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The one, yeah. the ones who were, were pulled from uh, winning the house cup, what, five years in a row or something like that. They'd be the ones that don't like him. But I think even with that being said, like, I still think that there's that love that everybody kind of just is like, you know, he's, he kept us protected. He, he did his best to make sure that the right things were put in the right spots. And and I think that those who don't care for him would be the ones who are not paying attention, um, who have no idea what's happening behind the scenes, who have never paid a true attention to it. Because I, I just, I love, like, I'm listening, I've been saying about uh, Goblet of Fire recently, 
And there's this part where he's like, I heard a good joke this summer. And like, he's just so relatable. And like McGonagall's like, not the time or place. Like that is not an appropriate joke. And and he's like, maybe for another time. And like, it's just kind of like, he like he's fun, but he also knows the serious moments and how grave some of this is. But he also knows how to mask that with the fun. He knows he, he's kind of like that best of all worlds situation. And so when he died, just the slow motion falling to the ground like my heart just dropped i'm like i know what's happening like i know the 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 intimate details from reading this book a few times and i still just was like i want to cry like a baby just with with the way that they're handling this um well and i think it needs to be said too we talk about like do we think he orchestrated what happened and kind of controlling who was the person to kill him i think he like he saw the good in Draco and he knew that he couldn't do it. Like he knew at the end of the day that he wasn't going to be as, as tough of an exterior as exterior as Draco tries to present. He knew that he was very much too young of, I mean, he's just, he has a little bit of tenderness in his heart, not much, but he has enough tenderness in his heart to not want to kill Dumbledore. I would say that Draco is a child looking for attention. Oh yeah. Who is screaming to be loved. Yes. Because you look at his dad who is You look at him honestly. Well, I I would I would argue his mom tries. Okay, that's fair. And I would say just the mother, but even there, I think it's still really hard. And I think, you know, as as I'm growing as a as a pastor and as a leader, and I'm looking at emotional intelligence and all that, I just think he's the kid screaming for attention. And he's being forced to grow up in certain aspects where he doesn't know how to. And I think that that's really what it comes down to because at the end of book seven, when they hit the, the like 12 or like 20 years later or something like that. And they hit this point where he looks across the the station to Harry and they just kind of nod to each other, kind of like a, how you doing? Like just, just real quick. It shows that like, there's something bigger. For him in store and i would love to see her continue that story but i'm okay if she doesn't because you know we we spent our time with harry i want to see some more stuff come from from that universe but i think that that yeah he, he couldn't have pulled that trigger there was no way but to yell expelliarmus and get the gift because dumbledore orchestrated that oh absolutely and then but but here's the other piece then it's it's anybody's game because anybody could could uh could drop draco at any point he could be disarmed at any point. Like it, it's no longer like, it's crazy that it just happened to be Harry that, that gets him later. And I'm like, that's plot armor right there. <laughs> like, cause what, what happens if like, he's just like in a bar at a fight or something like that. And, or like he's, he's gets disarmed in a, uh, like in a classroom or something like that between Dumbledore's death and the end of the school year. Cause that wasn't like the last day of school. Like it, there was, there's a little bit of time. So what if he would have got disarmed between those, those moments? And I'm like, that's leaving it up to chance, Dumbledore. There's no way. And I'm like, gotta love plot armor. <laughs> so um, the locket scene, when they are in the, uh, the cavern before they get back to Hogwarts and he passes or is, is murdered, um, there's this this scene where he's in extreme pain and he's thirsty. He's got to drink all the like the poison water kind of thing. What did you guys think of that from the book and the movie, the way that they 
they described it and they showed us what did what did you guys think of ways to how Voldemort hid the different pieces because he's got the horcruxes and he's hiding those what, what did you guys think of that I mean this book I mean all of them have been getting darker but this is just getting darker and darker and darker um, him using the dead to fight, you know, and things like that. It just, it's getting darker and darker and it's showing personal sacrifice for anyone who would want to take him out and not just like a singular personal sacrifice, right? It's, you have to sacrifice and drink all this poison as well as then face all of, you know, all of the dead people that are coming up. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you really have to want to kill him and not just stay more than you want to stay alive yourself. And I think, you know, we see that in Dumbledore, but that is also part of the test. I think that Voldemort thought that anyone who would want to take him out that badly would want to live more. And I think, um, I, I just think it's, it just keeps getting darker and darker from there, but that was a bet that, he took when making those horcruxes. And I think that he thought that anyone that would make the bet of wanting to kill him more would actually just be as evil as him. And so wouldn't want to kill him, would rather join him. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. No, that, that the whole idea of like, Oh, why, why kill me when we can join forces and then take over together or we can, we can do a lot more damage together. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because life is sacred and who's who is truly willing to play the sacrifice play here like no one's that dumb like you know as christians we we come in and say you know there's a god who loves us and who sent his son to die for us like there's no way on earth i could have done that like i i I sacrifice stuff here and there and i'm like you know those are hard moments and i'm like to take on the the weight of like hey i'm pulling the chance play here we're gonna kill voldemort and i'm gonna do this like for for me, like this is that that moment where I feel like it, it copies scripture a little bit. Um, just that whole sacrifice play. I'm like, oh, Dumbledore is pulling a Jesus over here, trying to like, hey, we're, we got to take out the evil. I got to help like bring salvation to the wizarding world in in some some way, or at least help get that ball rolling. And I, I see a lot of that kind of stuff that plays out in the in the fiction world a lot. And I'm like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. I like this. So, but yeah, I, I agree with you uh, on that. So, Alicia, what do you think? I agree. It is. I mentioned this in the last podcast, like we are starting to see more darkness. And from what I remember of the book, this whole scene, like in it, while details are being described, it still felt very like, like, I mean, they were in a dark cave, but it felt like everything was pitch black when I'm, when I'm reading the book. Um, but I agree, like, it's just it getting darker and darker. And I think it, like, it has to, like, that's going to be, it's the progression of the story um, as it's written. But as far as, like, the sacrifice that Dumbledore made, I wonder if part of him was also, he he already knew that he was dying because of the whole, the blackened fingers, right? I wonder if he thought, eh, can this really get much worse? I'm going to do anything that I can even if it means damaging my body even worse um, to make this ball keep rolling so that Voldemort does get destroyed. You know, from a movie, uh, a cinematic standpoint, and, and Micah has talked with me over the years uh, about as we have we, been creating this and, and where we're going with all this, 
it's cool to see when the music and the the lighting and the visual effects start to tell the story of hey this is a darker moment so like you're going in and you're like okay the dead are about to come out of the water and you don't know about that part yet but everything is pitch black and they have to have the one and they're like lumos and like they're trying to throw it and then they get it into the middle and then it kind of lights up just that moment or that that's one spot but everything else is still really dark and the music starts to get a little bit lower and a little bit creepier and the lighting it's like that whole movie i feel like was just a little bit darker and it helps sets that stage where you're moving from book to movie and, and mike and i have talked about that before and just how as things happen you start to like how do we take all the backstory and and the 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 depth of something and translate that into a movie and i think that they did really well with that in this movie to go and say okay there's a lot of dark there's a lot of lot of pain a lot of turmoil i mean when dumbledore is falling to his death it's all, like the sky is black like you can just see it's ready to rain it's ready to like like there's just this dark and dreariness over hogwarts and it's like okay, timeout. If I didn't read that book, what's about to happen kind of situation? Like if you start to pick up some of that and it's just part of the storytelling that goes into that. And I, I thought that was really, really cool. So I think that's a great last... point with the, with the, the, the film score. And I mean, Micah and I both listened to film scores at work and I actually found a station um, that was called epilogues and it's mm-hmm. been playing a lot of the Harry Potter stuff. Um, and it, it, you're right. It is very dark, but I also say that like, watching the movies listening to the film scores like you i mean if you listen to them enough you can picture what's going on in the movies oh yeah you can see those things happen but you're right it is the music is going as dark as the books are which i mean it has to of course yeah and i think that like like i was about to say like the last movie you're starting to get darker but this one just from a visual and an audio standpoint it just really hits that point so um what did you guys think and I'm, I'm kind of hopping back over to Slughorn real quick. What did you guys think about the luck potion and the way that Harry like faked it in the movie with, with Ron and he's like, here, drink some of this and, or like drink it. And like, he did like the placebo effect on him. And then he ends up using it. And like movie wise, I thought the movie part was hysterical when he's like, kind of like hazed dazed, kind of drunk kind of look. And he like walks in, he's like, I don't know, I'm just going to do it. And like runs in and like gets the the special stuff and he gets the everything out of out of Slughorn. Like, what did you guys think about how they did that? I, I it was it was I think it was very well done. Um, you know, Ron Ron is just such a different character, but he does always bring that comedic relief, which I think I, I think to a to an extent all of the Weasleys do. They have some level of that comedic relief, which I mean given who their parents are, I would hope that that would come through. Um, I do think it's funny that the placebo effect worked on him, um, but I wouldn't expect any different. And of course, then Hermione being all teacher-like, you can't do that. It's not allowed, um, which is, you know, perfect for her character as oh, well. Yeah. But but the whole haze, it, I mean, he, he it's like he was high. Like, oh, yeah. mean, it just walking around like, oh, you know, this... I think this is going to work. I think this is going to be good. And you're right. I I'm think it, go was, visit it Hagrid. was. Yeah. 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 It's like, it just sounds like a good idea. I think it was very well done. Morgan, what do you. Well, and I think it shows that 
Ron is just really lacking some confidence. Like he really is capable. And I think so often we kind of think of him as like the oof of the, the trio, but he really is capable. He just needs a little bit more confidence. And I'm like, when your two best friends are like the smartest girl ever and the chosen one, like he just needs a little boost of confidence. And so I think it was fun to get to see that. Um, and like, like you said, it's, it's a brighter part in this movie that had a lot of darkness in it. Um, I also think it's an interesting play. Um, I study like Myers-Briggs a lot. And so, you know, Hermione is like, no, you took this thing. We have to have a plan. We have to make a plan. And he's like, I'm just going to go with my gut. And so I think it's just really interesting to see their personalities. It almost like heightens Harry's personality of going with his gut. And Hermione's like, no, we need a plan. We need a plan. You shouldn't have taken it until we had a plan. And so it's just fun to see their personalities heightened in that moment as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the way that she wrote him using it and then we get a former character that was in Chamber of Secrets with Aragog, like, I thought that was great. There's that that funeral scene and, like, Hagrid was was a mess. And so you see, like what death does to these characters instead of like, Hey, we're going to shoehorn a bunch of like death into the last book, like, and make you really feel something like there there's been a death everywhere. And it, it just shows like, you know, part of life, there's birth, there's life, there's death that it happens. And to see them get emotional and how some of them are like, do you think it'd be okay if I got some like serum from the Fang? Like, I know he's dead and I know like you're mourning, but can we do this? And like, just like how some people don't realize what they're even doing and the obliviousness to it. And I was like, I just, I loved that whole scene. I thought that was great. <laughs> so well, and I uh, think it, okay. it highlights with Slughorn. So we often think of him as an opportunity right? Um, where he is really just trying to make the most of every opportunity possible. But you also begin to see in this, that people pleasing mode, um, that that's part of his character that you don't always see. Because, you know, part of us is like, for goodness sakes, why would you tell a student about war crisis? But also that's part of his personality is the desire to please, um, in order to like gain favor with people. And so for him, you know, that was part of, oh, you asked a question. Well, I want to be the professor that's willing to share that with you so that later on you will be able to share things with me. And so I think that, you know, I almost feel sorry. You do end up feeling sorry for him, but realizing that so much of that is just a desire to be pleased um, and to be pleasing to other people as much as he is pleased to receive their favor. That's great. Yeah. The last thing as we kind of start to wrap up is, and, and I asked this in the last episode too, do you think that the book or the movie is what you would watch or read right now if you were given the, the opportunity? But like, is this one of your favorites that you're like, I would rather read the book or is it a, I definitely rather watch the movie right now. I'm I'm listening through the book again right now, and I would have to say the book 100%. Um, the first 25% of the book, because, you know, like on the apps, they tell you what percentage yeah. of the book. Yeah. They don't get to Hogwarts until 25% of the way into the book, which I think is a progression that you see throughout is that they're spending more and more time in the book away from Hogwarts. 
Um, but I would, there's so many extra details. Also that, you know, you were talking about the cave scene. That's just kind of creepy. And so if I could, you know, have that in book form instead of on my TV, I would definitely. <laughs> we don't, we don't need to give nightmares to ourselves or our children. We totally understand that. Yeah, that's so. when you like around and you're like, okay, the kids are in bed right now. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, Katie and I, we, we recently put a projector in our room so that we have a bigger TV and I'm running through the Harry Potter series. And I'm like, as long as Ollie's not awake, like I'll throw one of these on as I'm progressing through. Cause I'm like, the first two are totally fine for me. Like he watched the basilisk scene and he was like, that's a big snake. Like he, he just thought that was cool. And that's as far as it went. He, he really didn't care past that. But I'm like, uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have you around when like we get to the, the more crazy stuff. That's just not something that I'd want to introduce to a two and a half year old. So Alicia, what are your thoughts? I think I'm going to agree. I felt more torn when you asked in the last podcast, we were talking about order of the Phoenix because it is one of my favorites all around. So I would mm-hmm. feel torn about watching either or listening or reading the book. But I think with, with Half-Blood Prince, I would rather read the book because you're getting so much good detail. So it's not like a waste of information. You're getting so much information. And which again is generally the rule when you're translating from a book to a movie, you can only do so much. But I think that they, it, she just did such a good job describing and really helping you see those things in in half blood prince that i think i would rather read the book than the movie jordan what about you i think i'd rather watch the movie um and for the sole purpose that right now i'm still caught up in the goblet of fire as we're as i'm recording this um so like i don't want to get to the book just yet um i'm watching the movie so i'm like i'm excited to get like continue through right now but like i'm when i when i get on a book i want to just focus on it and it's going to be a couple of years before the Jim K edition comes out for this book. So I'm like, I'm going to have to wait anyways, because I, I got rid of my books a few years back. And so I've been rebuying them. And this month, the Order of the Phoenix is being dropped. Well, they've moved from instead of every year dropping a book, they're going every other year, if not every three years. And so with that being said, I don't know when I'm going to get my next book. So I'm like, well, I at least have the first five. <laughs> so, but no, I, I think that the movie is... It's a good starting point. It's definitely nowhere near as good as as the books. Um, and I'll, I'll listen to the audiobooks. I've got all the the complete series on audiobook. Um, but I love having a book in my hands, and I love being able to read. But <clears throat> this one, it's just it's not my favorite book. Uh, Order of the Phoenix definitely was, and then if I were to throw a second in, I think Goblet of Fire is probably right up there for me. Um, but I wouldn't say six is like my absolute favorite, or even maybe even top three. Um, and so it's just, I think it's maybe because it got darker. And so I'd rather just like burn through the movie and then get to, to part one and part two of, of book seven um, and just really enjoy that culmination of the end. Um, plus, I just I feel like there was more emotion in the book to Dumbledore's death and to some of the pieces that like led into it that I'd rather just watch him fall to his death because that takes like two, three seconds versus like five pages of like the dialogue and the whole, like, it, it, I feel like it's so drawn out and I'm just like stabbed to the heart. So I just don't, I think I'd rather just watch it happen real quick. That way I can just like get, get it over with. So that's where I'm at. But Morgan and, and Alicia, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It was a lot of fun talking to the Half-Blood Prince and you know, there's, there's so much more that we can continue to talk about, but due to time constraints, we're going to go ahead and close it out. So mm-hmm. 
Guys, thank you so much again. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for following us. We definitely will catch you here next time on Nerd Talk.